Welcome to Bop It, everybody. Why, why Bop It today? Because when we play games like Bop It, we create competition. And when we create competition, we create adversaries. We create two against each other, two teams, two people, whatever, win, lose, right? Jesus is creating something else. And that's why I am speaking today on John chapter eight. And it starts with a really, really cool verse. And then it gets quite complicated, but I hope to break down the complications. But first, the very cool verse, John eight thirty six. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I just think that is an awesome verse. What is that saying? That's saying that God's plan for your life is freedom. Not that you would be under pressure, not that your relationship would be under pressure, not that you would be oppressed, but you would be free. That's God's goal. That's God's plan for you and for me, that we would experience freedom. Now, verse number 37 is where things get a little dicey. Here we go. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He welcomed the messengers of God in the book of Genesis. He welcomed them, and yet they're rejecting Jesus, the messenger of God. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. And then here it comes. He ends this, verse 44, with a doozy. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, many of us hear that and we're like, what? Oh, no, Jesus, you didn't just say that, did you? Others of us hear that like, yeah, there's no problem with that. But what is Jesus really saying? That's what I'm after today, because I want to remind you, I've said this a couple months ago. The Bible is written for you. It's written for me, but it's not written to you or to me. We got to get in their context and hear what Jesus is saying and hear what they're saying to understand what is really going on here. I'm going to boil all of it down to one word. Why is their father the devil? Adversary. The name Satan means adversary. And Satan is multiplying adversaries in the world. We see it right from the beginning when we're first introduced to Satan in the book of Genesis. Remember, we've talked about this before if you've been following along, but the gospel of John is the second Genesis. You have the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and the gospel of John. The two are tied completely together. And when we first see Satan, the adversary in Genesis chapter 3, What does Satan immediately do? He creates an adversary between Adam, Eve, and God. And then the next thing you do, we see him that he does, is he creates an adversary between Adam and Eve. And then it's between their children, Cain and Abel. He turns them into adversaries. So what do we see Satan doing? Multiplying adversaries. What do we see the Pharisees doing who are following their father, Satan? Multiplying adversaries, creating adversaries all over the world. So here's the challenge for us today. 
You and I have to see every single person in order to reduce the pressure that exists in our lives, relationships under pressure. We need to see every single person on this planet as our teammates because Jesus Christ is creating teammates. We've all been created in the image of God. It's the universal human right, every single person. We are equal in the eyes of God, stamped with the image of God. We are all on one big team, the image of God. God tells us that in chapter one of the Bible, the book of Genesis. He wants us to know right up front, we are all on the same team. And Jesus is creating teammates. He's creating a coalition who will take his will and will reproduce it in the world. Satan is creating adversaries and the Pharisees were multiplying that into the world by creating other adversaries. And we are called in order to reduce the pressure in our relationships to see other people, not as our adversaries, but as our teammates, because that's what winning couples do. They look at the person that they're in a relationship. They look at their spouse. And when they're in conflict, they don't look at them as the enemy that they've got to win over top of. No, no, we know this from research. What winning couples do is they look at their spouse or they look at their friend or they look at their family member as their teammate. And they say, the only way that I can win is if you win. It is the very foundation of reducing pressure. And this is what Jesus is advocating. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. This is going to be really hard for us to do, but it works. It works. Emotionally, I don't want to do it. Rationally, I struggle with it. But Christ says, if you follow me, I will set you free and reduce the pressure in your life and turn your life into something that you can't even imagine. It's going to be awesome, but we're going to have to trust him. And we're going to have to see other people, every person walking on this planet as our teammate. We're all wearing the same jersey. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6. We struggle not against flesh and blood. That's not our struggle. Our struggle is not with other people. We're all on the same team. The struggle is, he says, with powers and principalities. And what do they want to do? What does the evil forces of darkness want to do? Again, we're not going to go there and talk about, is this metaphor or is this real? Don't get caught up in that right now. Get caught up in this. Christ is calling us to be teammates with every single person. We're not struggling with flesh and blood. But what we are is looking at other people, even people who we're really divided from as our teammates. That is how we get along. Now we see this, John chapter 13, Judas who portrays Jesus, we're told that Satan prompts him to create an adversary out of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, very important uh, chapter in the Bible, where Peter's proclaimed, you know, he says, you are the, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, you're the rock. And on this, on on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then moments after that, Peter, he begins to rebuke Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, why does Jesus do that? Because Peter all of a sudden became an adversary to Jesus. And Jesus recognized that is the work of Satan. We are teammates, we are not adversaries. And what Satan does and why Jesus says to the Pharisees, your father is the devil, is because he's saying you're looking at other people through a lens of adversaries. And the challenge is is to look at every single person, even the person who you don't get along, even the person that you say is my enemy, even the person right now in your home that you're having so much pressure with, that you're having so much frustration with, they're your teammates. 
And the only way for you to win is to create a way for them to win. This is what Christ is challenging you with. Now, there's two habits that very happy couples. From research on marriage, there's two really important habits. The first one is this. Happy couples know that they're going to have problems. They don't have this expectation that they're not going to have problems. You know what a problem is? It's the gap between expectation and reality. And what happy couples know is they go in saying, you know what, we are going to have problems. Here's what research tells us. Happy couples, like long-term, happy, thriving couples, they only solve 31% of their problems. 31%. Think about that. The majority of their problems are long-term unsolved. But realistic couples, happy couples go in knowing that it's going to be a challenge, but that spouse, that person that they're in a relationship with is their teammate, not their enemy. And that leads us to point number two. Happy couples always look at their spouse as their teammate. They always see them as somebody who is on their side, that they're working towards a win-win, not as an adversary. Every person on this planet is your teammate. Every person on this planet is wearing your same jersey that you are wearing. Can you see every single person that way? Can you see that God is creating a coalition of people to multiply his will into this world? Thy will be done, thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That God is calling all of us, all human beings created in his image to be one big team that are working together for Christ's will, which we talked about last week, to be multiplied in the world. That is the way to reduce pressure in our world. There is a city in the United States of America that I read about recently that is struggling with an epidemic of homelessness. And they got so tired of it, they got so frustrated with it, they said, you know what? We, we're going to do something about this. That's it. We are going to solve this problem. And so they started calling meetings. They had regular meetings. They got together and they they came up with a plan. Remember last week, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Well, they came up with a plan. They had a winning plan, but they weren't getting anywhere. And it wasn't long before all of their sessions turned into gripe sessions and they were really negative and it was destructive and it was toxic. And then all of a sudden something happened. They made a decision and there was this critical turning point. You know what that turning point was? Is they started calling the homeless person or persons by their name. They would start asking questions. How's Joe Smith? Has anybody seen Joe Smith? Does anybody know what Joe Smith needs? What can we do to help Joe Smith succeed in life? They started making it personal. They turned Joe Smith into a teammate, not a number, not a problem, not something to be eradicated from their streets, but a person who they needed to see as a teammate that they wanted to help, that there's no way they could succeed. There's no way that they could win unless Joe Smith could win too. And that was the critical turning point and that launched them to success. Do you want to launch to success? You want to reduce the pressure in your life radically? See other people as your teammates, even those who you're so frustrated with, even those that tick you off and just, oh, you take it. You got to see them. You got to see them as teammates, not as people who are on the other side. Raleigh Washington, who has worked in the area of racial reconciliation for so many years, he's famous for saying this. Ask people a question who you find yourself divided from, who you find yourself maybe adversarial to. He says this, ask them this question, help me understand what it's like to be you. Help me understand what it's like to be you. You know, if we start asking that question a whole lot more often, 
at home, at work, anywhere, everywhere. It would reduce the pressure. Understanding, once you understand each other, it is immediate. <laughs> the research is clear on this. I've talked about this for years. Once we understand each other, it's an immediate pressure drop. Immediate pressure drop. Help me to understand what it's like. Can you ask your spouse that today? Can you ask your family member that today? Can, can you ask somebody who you're adversarial with, can you ask them that question? What is it like to be you? Now, all this week on Daily Grace, and if you're not tracking with Daily Grace, I just want to really encourage you to track with us on Daily Grace. Monday to Friday, every single day, a Daily Grace comes out. You can check it out on our Grace app, or you can check it out on our YouTube channel. All last week, starting on Monday, I kicked it off by talking about Epicenter. They're a little short, three minutes or less, devotionals every day, and I started with Epicenter. And what is an Epicenter? I said, an Epicenter is a pressure point in your body. There's some kind of trauma to your body. It's a focal point of pain. There's a spasm, and then it ripples out in all kinds of ways. And you can deal with the ripples and make yourself feel a little bit better, or you can deal with the Epicenter. You can get down to the root and make a significant difference and what is going on? What is your epicenter? Who, better yet, who is your epicenter? Who is that person that's really causing frustration and pain and pressure in your life? Who is your epicenter? And what are we going to Now, we're going to get real serious this week. And track with me all this week on Daily Grace. We're going to get real serious. But here's what we're going to do. This most famous piece of the Bible, the oldest fragment of the Bible that we have, Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. Can you imagine that? Still blows my mind. It is, God says, here's how you are to bless people and bring peace. And then it's this great prayer of blessing. It's the oldest fragment that we have. And I've encouraged all this past week to pray this. And now this week, here's the challenge. Here's major pressure reduction. Who's your epicenter? Satan says, curse them. Jesus says, bless them. Can you pray Numbers chapter 6 every single day over their life? Here's what the, here, here are the words of number 6. This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, everybody, before I pray to end, we're going to celebrate communion. Communion is such a wonderful moment. So I want to encourage you. Can you grab uh, something to eat and something to drink? I, I have mine right here, but I want to share a really, really important story with you before, before we do that. Just grab anything, something to eat and drink, okay? I want to share with you, I hope you'll listen closely just as you're grabbing stuff to, to take communion with. And again, communion's open to everybody. Mark Rutland, in his book, Streams of Mercy, shares with us a study that was done of people living in the United States of America. The question was asked, this is fascinating. The question was asked, what are the top three things that you want to hear? Like, what do you need to hear in life? Well, if you could hear anything, what would those top three things? Now, the first one was easy. Number one, I love you. Number one thing that we want to hear is we want to hear somebody say to us, I love you. But you know what number two and three are? Number two is, I forgive you. And ready for the shocker? Number three, supper's ready. Supper's ready. 
Jesus in communion tells us, I love you. I forgive you. I have grace for you. And he gives us an invitation to a meal. Does that blow your mind like me? The very thing that goes to the core of what it means to be human beings, of what we crave more than anything else, Jesus Christ encompasses that in communion, in this great meal. He says, I love you. I forgive you. Please come and eat a meal with me. So with that being said, let's take communion together. We are told on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is given for you. In the same manner, he took a cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. I'm pouring out my life for you. Why? What does that mean? It means I love you and there's nothing that you could ever do to make me turn my back on you. That is my perfect love, my unstoppable love for you. Let's pray God's blessing over the bread and over the cup and then let's eat and drink together. Almighty God, thank you so much that in communion you speak the three things that we are most desperate and the three things we most desire to hear that you love us, you forgive us, and you have given us an invitation to a meal to sit down with you as permanent friends of Almighty God. Lord, bless. In this moment, as we take communion, may your presence, Jesus, be so incredibly real in all of our homes and in all of our lives. Bless the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup. In Christ's name, amen. Let us eat and drink together. Before I turn it over to the music team, I want to close in prayer from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace, both now and forevermore, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.